Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Brett Hales. Welcome to the podcast, Brett. Thank you. I appreciate it, Dick. It's good to be here. And I'm not going to call Brett Brent, because it's not Brent, and it's not Hale. It's Brett Hales. (laughs) I love it. So just by way of introduction, we know each other mostly through social media. We have exchanged pleasantries at a couple, I think, basketball games at Cottonwood High School. But this is the first time we're really mating. And just to give background, um, Brett is my age, 58, although I think he's about five months older. I think I'm just a tad older than you. And um, I look like I'm your grandpa. I think you look the same age. (laughs) You have hair. Um, But Brett has, we've just become friends. And I can tell that our hearts are... Um, have similar feelings towards all of Heavenly Father's children. But as background, um, Brett grew up um, in the in the Magnary, went to Cypress High School, served a mission in Alaska, met his wife, um, Cindy there. She was Sister Ulrich at the time, and they since have been married, and we'll talk about that. And they have five children. All their children are married, active in the church, um, seven grandkids, and they've been married nearly 37 years uh, Brett was in the credit union business, and Brett, Brett then got MS, and obviously still has MS. And it's almost 15 years, I think, you've had Correct. MS. And we'll talk about that. That's a major curveball. Um, Brett is active LDS, served as a bishop, um, and served in YSA Steinmetz, and currently is the priest quorum instructor. Brett has some feelings about LGBTQ, and I've we both... I've tried to do all that we can to um, be supportive of our church. And part of that is using our doctrine to be kind to LGBTQ people. And I think we'll talk about some of that also. Anything I need to correct? Nothing. Sounds sounds like that's me. And one of our connections is um, when I was called to be a singles ward bishop, I was assigned out of my area. I was assigned to the Magna area. And I didn't know much about the Magna area and probably had picked up, picked up some incorrect conclusions about where you grew up. And then I went to the Cyprus community and just realized what a wonderful community this is. And it's a true community. We live near Cottonwood High School in Salt Lake City, and our, we're a little fragment. We have multiple neighborhoods that filled in, fill into our high school, but Magna doesn't. Correct. And were you tell us about your life at Cypress High? Were you into sports? Were you into academics? You know, were you getting good grades? Uh, <laughs> that's a great questions. You know, I I loved. Um, I I ran for uh, in ninth grade. I ran for student body president and didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing in life, but I won, and so that was kind of an interest for me so, to uh-huh. run for student government back then. And you know, I was just kind of the class clown and got along with everyone. I played some basketball here and there. I, I wasn't good enough to be on the basketball team. I played church ball, but you know, I, I love, I love all sports. So I love it. I don't play them, but I love watching them. Are you still connected with Cypress? Are you involved with the class, with reunions, with your fellow classmates? Big, big time. Why? Yeah, I, I, just because of the close community and, and the friendship. We, I, I grew up with my father uh, served as a bishop twice uh-huh. out there in Magna uh-huh. and PG second ward that doesn't exist anymore. And my father, um, give me the coordinates of roughly where you grew up. I grew up as almost as West as you could go. Uh, we were 80, almost 8,900 West. Wow. And then right along 3,100 South. Wow. So really I think 92, 92. And there's that cemetery on the hill. How close were you oh, to that just cemetery? A minute away. 
And what's that called, that cemetery on the hill? Magna Cemetery. It's the Magna Cemetery. Yeah, I guess they call it the Pleasant Green. That's what I remember, yeah, the Pleasant, Pleasant Green. Green Cemetery. Yeah. So we, my dad thought that was one of the be most beautiful spots because you could go up there and watch the, the – my dad would go up there and watch the Ochre Mountains – or not the Ochre Mountains, the Wasatch Mountains. Mm -hmm. I went up there probably for different reasons <laughs> <laughs> with dates. <laughs> Nothing major, just having fun. But that's we, that was always known there. But I've always stayed close to my Magna friends. Uh, uh, we, Dick and I talked earlier, but a lot of them are uh, not active LDS or not LDS. And I grew up, my dad just taught us that didn't matter. In fact, I remember one of my brothers saying one time something about the church. And my father said, well, which church? And he said, well, the church. And he goes, well, which church? And then finally he said, well, our church, the Mormon church. He says, well, say that then because there's the Greek Orthodox, there's the Catholic, there's the Baptist, there's the, you know, all sorts of Protestant and other religions. And so my father was really big on, we didn't know what color your skin was. We didn't, we really, that nothing, none of that meant anything to us. We just... What made your father much. like that? Because that's a little unusual. Do yeah, you know? Any, he just grew up. I he, assume he's passed away. He has. He just, he was ninety when he passed away about four years ago. Okay, and um, he just grew up in a home that, that none of that mattered, you know. And they loved everyone, and 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 uh, didn't matter if you were an LDS part of the LDS community or not. In fact, I grew up probably hanging around with more non-LDS friends than I grew up with. LDS. Why? I think just because um, I, I, I saw I, it was fun to be able to be around di something different. And I knew I could f always find the religion in my, my own home, you know, in my own, uh, in the own, what, what do I want to say? Mm -hmm. I, I knew that I could be around LDS people, but I really enjoyed being around. I'm still that way. I love being around people that believe differently. It's fun to be able to talk with them about their beliefs or sometimes they don't believe in anything. And that's fun, too. Did they try to pull you away from your beliefs, or were you just friends and Never. everybody honored their their individual religions or no religion? I interesting. Um, I remember a, a young man that I'm still really good friends with, and I was at a party, and I thought about taking a drink once, and he looked at me, and he said, Brett, it's not worth it. And he still not a member of the LDS faith. <laughs> but I've And so, no, my friends to this day, I think they wouldn't let me partake of something that was against my religion. I think they would probably say, uh -uh, you're not doing that. I love that. And I'm going to share a story I'm not sure I've ever shared on this podcast, but since we've talked about the Pleasant, what's the name of that cemetery? Pleasant the, Green. The Pleasant Green Cemetery. And you you go west from the coordinates you talked about. And I don't know if you go into Kennecott property now, but it's, it's up there on the hill and it's not um, a... a it's a pretty stark cemetery. There's no trees there, no big, there are a few trees, and it's a pretty kind of rugged area. It reminds me of a pioneer cemetery, but right. we had a YSA in our ward named Chuck Shaw who had a blood disease, and we talked with his resident bishop, and he decided to come over to the singles ward, and he had just spent his whole life sort of in hospitals working on this blood disease, and I got to know Chuck pretty well, but one day... Chuck would ask for multiple blessings, and he was in and out of the hospital. But one day I gave him a blessing, and I just, uh, you don't give YSAs these type of blessings, but I just gave him permission to go home to Heavenly Father. And I was kind of stunned because that would not be the normal thing. And and Chuck looked at me and says, thank you. And, and Chuck passed away about two weeks later. 
And I, I was just struck with, you know, he had really done everything he could to fight this disease. I didn't know it was a really a terminal disease until his mother and his resident bishop told me more of the story. And I was just honored. I just felt this impression that Chuck needed a priest's blessing. It was okay that he had done everything he could do. And it was okay to return home. And and he was really tired. And then we he was buried in that cemetery. And I remember on a really cold winter day going to that cemetery as we lowered his casket down. And, and it was just gave me an insight into just life's really hard sometimes and complicated. And but Heavenly Father has a plan and welcomed this young man home, and he did everything he could do. And it was a, a pretty faith-promoting but difficult experience for me. That's, that's pretty neat. But I love that experience. Um, talk about where you served a mission, Brett, and who you met there. Well, I served in Alaska from 79 to 81, and it was the Alaska Anchorage Mission. So it took in all of Alaska and Whitehorse, Canada. And I think I had four time zones. Wow. So it's huge. Really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, my mission president was Douglas T. Snar, owned a sign business. Just the, he was the owner of the president of the positive thinking rallies with Paul Harvey, Art Linkletter. Uh And I had the privilege of serving with him in the office and as a secretary. And Uh it was, it was just amazing. But I had the opportunity to meet a young lady that uh, was serving her mission. She was from the skyline area, sister Ulrich. And, uh, no sparks were flying <laughs> at that time, but about a year later after we got home, we uh, I decided to give her a call. I had worked up there. I'd stayed up there. I came home for three weeks, and then I worked at a radio station for, really? for about eight, nine months, KGOT radio. What kind of work did you do on the radio I station? I did uh, commercials. I wanted to do on air, and you, you needed to start with doing those commercials and sales and uh-huh. I was never good at sales. I, I'm good at sales if I don't have to sell it. But when I was required to sell, I wasn't very good. So anyway, and so I was up there for eight months, and then I came back, uh, I think around July, August, and I thought I'd look up Sister Ulrich. I looked her up, and we went out for a couple of weeks and got engaged and got married about two or three months later. Wow. Was she interested in you? No. no. Or was she thinking this is a missionary that might be, I don't know if she's younger, you're younger than. She's, believe it or not, I've teased her a long time about this, but she's a year and a half older. She is older. She married an older woman. Sometimes that's against the cultural norm. It's been good for me. Yeah. But uh, she, uh, great missionary. I mean, and it was kind of cool because I got to see the side of her the spiritual side of her and her testimony. And so when we dated, we didn't need to worry about any of that. Wow. We just had fun for a couple of weeks and, and, uh, but no, there were no sparks. I didn't have them. She didn't have them. We, we uh, locked our hearts as president Kimball said. And, Did you have uh, any impressions while you're on your mission no, to date her? Did this come not. later? Yeah, later. I never, I, I never even thought of calling her up. She was even, she was even up in Alaska when I went back to work in, in Anchorage. I could have gone to the airport and seen her. Uh, she left her mission in January. I, I never entered my mind. I never even thought of seeing her at the airport. And then what changed when you got here? Well, Honestly, I was watching Happy Days in Laverne and Shirley, and I didn't have anything else to do. My parents were out of town, and I thought, who could I call? I should call Sister Ulrich. I had to go through the pages. and The I white found, pages? Yeah, white pages, and found some Ulriches, and they guided me to the right. Walt and Donna Ulrich was her parents, and they lived up here at Brookstone Condominium. Wow. And uh, so anyway, and we went out, and that the rest is history. We, it was really short-lived. My kids, we have five kids, and I've always said, okay, you guys, now— this doesn't always work. Make sure you're careful in your relation. And they're going, oh, really, Dad, you're one to talk. Two and a half weeks, you 
you dated mom. <laughs> Talk about, I'm confessing some of my bias here. I live on the east side of Salt Lake City, and when I was called to the Magna area, I didn't have very good impressions about Magna. And I went there and then got to know the people of Magna, West Valley, and that all changed. They are some of the finest children of Heavenly Father, and I would sometimes drive back embarrassed with what I had con- pre-concluded. Um, and I, and so I've, I've just, I think I've fully repented of that. <laughs> and I, but I'm glad I had that experience. Did you feel any, even when you were dating, you were a West Side kid dating an East Side um, girl. Was there any tension there? Never. No, never. It never. And did you see your, did you feel any tension as a West Side kid versus the East Side kids? No. I mean, I think like everyone else in high school, we thought all oh, the East Siders, you know, type thing. And, and, uh, but never, no, it didn't affect us at all. It meant nothing to us that That's I was cool. on the West Side. I mean, I was far as, I was like 8,800. You west. were just barely the I, West Side. I was only, yeah, I was almost next to the mountain. And, uh, Cindy, was next she was up on about 34th east this is like a 30 minute drive yeah in fact i think i remember her making a statement something like oh i didn't know i needed to pack a lunch or fill my gas tank up i don't know but we tease about that but it's all in fun it was we had a great experience we dated for two and a half weeks so that's all we (laughs) we did and talk about your kids did you have kids pretty quickly um yeah i think it was about two or three years our first daughter came and then so we have five kids. We have a daughter and a son, and then a daughter and a daughter and a son. So, so five kids. Five kids. And they all get married in the same order? I mean, um, birth order? Was there a lot of random stuff? No, I'm asking I, hard questions. No, that was a good question. So uh, Ashley was married first. She's our oldest. And then Nate, I think, was second. Isn't that funny? And Courtney was next, and Tammy was next, and then Kevin. Kevin just got married this past year. So they all got married in the right, yeah. in the birth order. That's yeah. very unusual. Yeah, very unusual. And, we, you know, we could care less what order it was. We just wanted them to be happy. So, And you've got all five kids active in the church, which I don't, I would say that's a minority parental position to be at this point, to have all five adult children in the church. I don't know if that's true. I don't have any research, but any thoughts on that? You know, I, 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 I yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on it. And the main thought is that Heavenly Father sent us good kids because I, 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 Cindy and I have talked about it and heck, I could have, destroy i tried to destroy them and they stayed active anyway (laughs) but they're great kids and just great they just they came this way to us and uh they um honestly have married wonderful partners and have brought seven so far seven grandkids into the home and we have two that live up believe it or not they live right they're almost neighbors they live in millville up in logan area Uh and so two of them up there two are down in uh, the lehigh area and then we have our youngest son that's finishing UVU in December. He's, he and his wife are in an uh, apartment down in So UVU. you have three in Utah County and in two Oregon. in whatever county we, Logan is in. I don't care. Cash. Cash County. I think it's Cash County, yeah. yeah. And so, and you had a career at a credit union. We're going to talk about you being diagnosed with MS. Um, were there any major curveballs that happened between getting married and having these five kids and getting um, diagnosed with MS? No, and you, 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 but nobody mean major curveballs. Well, far. just you know, as life goes along, any so, I assume being di- diagnosed with MS is a major curveball, big, big curveball. <laughs> yeah. And you've been dealing with that ever since. Any other sort of 
major curveballs that occurred before then? Do you know? No. Or was life just kind of going on and you had traditional ups and downs? I think we thought we had the perfect life. I mean, uh, our marriage, honestly, our marriage has been just an amazing, we're, we're best friends. And, and I think what has made our marriage so good is there's times that Cindy may not want to go out somewhere and, and she, she might have a meeting or whatever. She'll say, go visit your friends, you know, and I'll go out and visit. There's about a few ladies that we call the golden girls and they're 81 now. And uh, they worked at the credit union. I ended up being their boss. And I said, really? They said, Brett was our boss. And I always say, really? They were the best bosses I ever had. All I had to say is yes. And they would, everything was good because they, they bossed me around, even though I was their boss. But they were, and I grew up with their family. So it was out in the Magnet area for Cypress. And then we moved out into the West Jordan area. But we, um, yeah, what would you say some of the basic principles are to a health, for a healthy marriage? I'll tell you for Cindy and I is to respect each other. That was, that was our number one thing. And that's what we expected out of our kids. We honestly said to each other, we want them to grow up active in the LDS faith. But our main thing more than that was that they were going to respect. That was the biggest thing. My dad demanded respect. In fact, I told Cindy, I want to write a book that, that says respect is not an option because everything else is an option, but respect in my opinion, that's not an option. That's that's mandatory. And so our kids did that. They res- we they respected us. Cindy and I have respected each other. We realize, you know, everyone has their ups and downs, but we were really blessed to to we're best friends. We wanted to be with each other and yet we allowed each other if we want to go do something else with some friends. We didn't there was never any like it was always consent. Consented to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was nothing. It, we we've always allowed each other to do whatever, and yet ninety nine percent of the time we're with each other. And I, as I see you on Facebook, you two are often posting pictures together. You did a one over the weekend, I think, for Mother's Day, just the two of you. And you, I love that trip in Hawaii. I think you saw with yeah. you and Cindy and many of your kids, and you just have a wonderful family. Thank you. Other principles just for our listeners, especially those that may not be married or just starting marriage that want this kind of marriage. You've talked about respect. Anything else comes to mind? Unconditional love. Um, that's that's my dad. My dad taught us that. My and so did her parents and my parents that you unconditionally love, no matter what. And, and we found out when find found when we loved other people unconditionally, then it it made us love each other more unconditionally. And so that was a major. Uh, blessing in ours to love unconditionally everyone not just not just heavenly or when they said love when the scripture says love one another it doesn't say accept it says love one another that's simply what we've done we just love one another and and i think because we loved other others the same as we loved our family that has blessed our lives i love that any other advice for our listeners on healthy marriages um I think we, you know, you, you learn over time to, to be patient. You know, you, you have your times where you're not patient. One of the best talks I ever, in my opinion, have ever uh, read and, and watched was Elder Holland's talk on Tongue of Angels. And it was April of 2007. And he just, it pierced my heart about speaking to each other with respect. He talked about the tongue being a sharp uh, object and that the tongue is a small part of the body, like Paul speaks of, but he says it can destroy. And I realized that 
there was a time in my life where I think I kind of was like that a little bit. And I had to learn that, you know what? Life's too short. Let's just not worry about some of that stuff. And, and let's be more patient and, and patience in my opinion is huge to be patient with each other. I love that. I love the discipline. Remember my grandpa saying, you've got to count to 10 before you say something. And sometimes by the time you get to 10, you'd have just the maturity to not say what you might say at one. Yeah. yeah. And I think certainly as we get older, we're, we're better at that. But I think that's great advice. I don't think we ever went to bed angry. Honestly, really I think good. that that was another thing that we we said we would never. No, we stayed up till four a.m. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> we did. We had a thing that we said just don't go to bed angry. And and so, what year were you diagnosed with MS? Two thousand five. It was uh, I want to say around May, somewhere around there. But it was two thousand five. And so I'm going to just keep chronologically going here. I'm going to talk about you were called to be a homeward bishop before you were diagnosed. I was. In roughly what year? You know, I think it was around 98. Okay. Let me think. I was No, I was diagnosed. No, it was later. Excuse me. It was later because I was diagnosed in 2005 and I was bishop at the time. Okay. So it must have been around 2002. Okay. That I was. Um, homeward bishop. Homeward bishop. You had kids at home. Yeah, all our kids were home. And. um Talk about just your style of, you know, every bishop has a style. What we, and maybe you don't want to do this because you don't want to bring any attention to yourself, but what was your style? You know, my style, this is, that's an interesting question because, no, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'd like the style I, I did, I had. My style was I knew the people coming in to see me were rough enough on their, tough enough on themselves that I wasn't going to add to that. I was going to love them and was going to, excuse me, I was going to get them back <clears throat> to where they felt good about themselves. And that was my goal. I didn't want anyone to leave my office. I didn't want a youth to leave my office thinking, heck, I've done this, I've done that. I wanted them to know that, guess what? We all do it. We've all, we've all done what you're talking about. Hang in there and, and, that's what the atonement's about. Heavenly Father loves you and me no matter what. And so I made sure when they anybody left my office, a, a, a youth or even an adult, that they knew of their self-worth and that they knew that I, as their bishop, would never, ever hold anything against them. And I, I want them to walk out of that office knowing that they were okay. Why did, how did you know how to do that? I think probably because from my father. My father uh, taught me some of those principles, and my mother was was like that also. And and then I think it's just I don't know if it's just something that's in you, but I I've saw other I've seen other people that were a little hard, and I never wanted to be like that. I always wanted to be the one that understood and loved them for who they were. What do you do in a bishop's interview if some if I'm a seventeen year old young man and I've got a pornography problem and I talk to you, Bishop Hales? What do you do to help me, you know, feel good about myself and also make progress on my pornography problem? I think the first thing I did was make sure, like I just said previously, that the, you're loved no matter what. No matter what you're going through, Heavenly Father loves you because we're all imperfect. You know, to get perfect, I don't think that's going to happen in this life. And so, and then, you know, yeah, the typical answers of praying and reading your scriptures, but mainly... I think I just really worked on 
having that individual feel good about themselves because once they felt good about themselves because they'd come in and they hated themselves or they were discouraged or depressed or or felt like their self-worth was nothing and 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 I didn't feel like I could get anywhere until we got them to where their self they knew their self-worth was just as good as anybody else's even though they were going through what they were going through how do you get someone to feel how do you do that I think just unconditionally love them I honestly think they knew I loved them. They knew that they could come to me. I remember having several people come in because they knew that even though I was the bishop and you called the judge of Israel, I never took that. I never, I don't know how to explain that, but, and and right or wrong, that wasn't my style. My style was just to love unconditionally. And so because of that, it broke the barrier down and, allow people to talk about things that they may not have talked about. My impression is bishops get, as from the youth, kind of a reputation. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's the right word, but I think the youth, without, I, I just think bishops have this continuum, and they all, I think, honor and want to teach the doctrine of our church and don't give a pass on commandment keeping. But they have different personalities about how approachable they are about people with their mess-ups. And I've always wondered how you scale somebody like you for other bishops, because I think the longer I serve, I think, you know, everybody needs a safe place to talk to. And you have, our listeners can't see you, and I know you, you have this presence and this big heart, and there's something just about your personality that I would just feel comfortable talking to you. And how do you cultivate that in a ward? Are there talks you give that sort of, create a feeling or the way you approach people or what you do in your community service? I I think that, yeah, I think that when you're a bishop and you you have that privilege, I call it a privilege or an honor to be able to do that. Nothing I seek by any means. Um, But that you just, with your ward council and with everyone in leadership, you know, you let them know that we love everyone and that we're not out to judge anybody. And I think that, and I, and I came from a ward when I, the ward I was a bishop in. And that ward was in Murray, wasn't Murray, it? Yeah. You live they, in the Murray High footprint. They love the, the, these, these people, they still do. We're in the same ward, uh, little Cottonwood six ward. They love everyone. They just are unconditionally, uh, everyone has that feeling in our Sunday school lessons. Everyone will talk about unconditional love. And we were never afraid to talk about topics that maybe, you felt like we're untouchable. Uh, like you and I have talked about the LGBTQ community, community that what made you be willing to talk about more difficult topics. I think that I thought there weren't others doing it. So I needed to do it. I think I thought I, I, I saw, you know, and I, I, I am really big on priesthood blessings. Um, I, I, my father taught me, I had a wonderful experience. My father gave several priesthood blessings, but when he gave them, he, he, you could tell they were from our Heavenly Father. And I was going to have a minor surgery in Alaska, and I'm in the mission office, and I pick up one of the lines. I say, Alaska Anchorage Mission, Elder Hales, and it's my dad on the other end. And he says, Brett, this is your dad. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? And he says, are you by yourself? And I says, no. He says, can you get by yourself? And I said, sure. So I went into a room, had no idea what he was going to do. And I picked up the line of the old buttons you pushed. And I said, okay, I'm on dad. What's going on? He goes, bow your head. And I bowed my head and my dad gave me a priesthood blessing from, (laughs) excuse me, from Magna, Utah to Anchorage, Alaska. And I have never 
and he wasn't afraid. My father wasn't afraid to give him. He wasn't afraid. You know, no one, I didn't, wasn't anointed. And, and he taught me that it was okay to be the one that anointed and gave the blessing because there's situations where you can't, someone might not be comfortable. And because of that, so I, because of that experience in Alaska and other things, I, I've given hundreds of priesthood blessings and, and I feel like those are sometimes where people learn more about themselves and, and because heavenly father, I when some of those priesthood blessings I've given, I, I just walk away in awe and I go home and we'll tell Cindy, what the heavenly father is really cool. He loves us. He loves everyone the same. He, he, there's, he's no perspective of individuals. He, he just loves us all the same. It's really touching. I'm still with the anchorage of this father giving a priesthood blessing over the phone to his son. And sometimes our rules, which I support, would say that's out of a protocol. There's no oil. There's no second person. There's no, his hands aren't on your head. Right. But then I sort of step back and go, would the priesthood be limited by any of that? This is God's power your father has. He has stewardship responsibility for you. He holds the priesthood. And why couldn't he give a blessing over the phone? We wouldn't make that the standard practice. Sure. But our church has the principle of exception that I don't think we teach very much. Is this? It's it's sometimes we make exceptions, and sometimes we we just step back from the mechanics of a situation and do the right thing. And I love the way your father's wired, and I love then the way you gave so many blessings to so many people, and I, that's really resonating with me because that's where I felt God's love for people. You know, more than any other ways, and I wish every member of the church could give hundreds of blessings. I recognize that's a privilege of fathers and priesthood holders and male, and I'm sensitive to women that, you know, don't have that chance, and I'm not advocating for doctrinal changes, but I, changes, but I recognize that our dear sisters don't have that privilege, and sometimes maybe they feel those feelings about other people through other ways, but it's a great privilege. Yeah. And I love the way, did you... How did, did you offer to give blessings in every interview or did you? I did in most interviews. In tell most, us how that went. I just, when someone would come in and it didn't matter if it was a, a single individual, a woman, a female or, or sister or, or brother who was discouraged, they weren't married. That was, was always my go-to. I thought, well, Heavenly Father knows better than I do. And so I always gave, and like I said, I was never afraid to anoint myself. And I always anointed. I had an experience one time, a friend of mine at the credit union told me that um, her son was going to the Navy and they had an opportunity to meet President Monson. And uh, her husband anointed and he, and he wasn't sick. And I don't remember the whole story, but something to the fact President, Nel or President Monson said, yeah, you anoint and I'll, I'll seal that. And, and so I've always thought... You know, people, they may not be physically sick, but they could be emotionally sick or they could be worried about something. So I've always anointed. I've and always, so you would anoint singly and, yeah. then, and then yeah, seal says, the anointing. You know, the handbook says you can do that if you can get someone else. I've never worried about getting someone else if if it wasn't. Um, I, 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 I hope I, maybe I'm okay to share this. When I was bishop and I was going in uh, at the Jordan River Temple, a, a session, there was a young man sitting next to me and he looked like he was in his mid thirties and he 
he just looked discouraged. And the more I, the session was going on, the more I was prompted that I thought, I, I, I mean, I'm not kidding you. The spirit said, give this young man a blessing. And I'm not kidding you. I fought it. And I'm going like, I'm not his bishop. I don't have to do that. By the time the session was over, we're getting ready to go into the celestial room. I remember thinking, I'm not doing this. And Heavenly Father says, you're going to do it or I'm going to destroy you. That's what I honestly felt like. And so with everything I had in my body, you know, I says, I, as they were, we were waiting to go through to the celestial room, I said to the young man, I said, I don't know you and I know you don't know me. And I said, but I feel impressed to give you a priesthood blessing. And he said, well, who are you? <laughs> And I said, nobody. And he and I, he said something about it. Well, what's your calling? And I said, well, I'm a bishop, but I'm not your bishop. I was trying, I was given so many excuses. Honestly, Dick, I could care less if he said no. I would have just thought, great, I did what I was supposed to do. Well, he says, can I talk to my wife about this? And so we go into the celestial room and I'm with Cindy. He's with his wife. I'm on one end and he's on the other. And I look at Cindy and I tell her and she says, what? Now, what'd you do? And <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm thinking, I said to her, I said, Cindy, let's just go. Let's leave. I'm embarrassed. Let's just go. Heck, they're going to call security, you know, or whatever. And I just, Cindy goes, well, you can't leave. And I said, oh, and I was so nervous. I was, And he comes over about five minutes later and he says, my wife and I would like that blessing. And so we went to their home. We got we went to, to their home. They lived really close, believe it or not. We didn't know them, but they were probably 10 minutes away in the Taylorsville area. And um, we went to their home. Their kids were being taken care of by her parents. They had two kids. And so when we were sitting there, I, I always want to know why I was prompted to, to do this. And so I said, can you tell me, is there a reason why I was prompted to give this? And he sits and looks at his wife and they tear up a little bit. And he says, my wife and I have been coming to the temple every month. This is our, this is one full year that we've done this now. And he says, and we were going to make a decision if we should get divorced or not. And I'm not kidding you. The spirit just came in the room. And so I gave him the blessing and he was promised a lot of things that he, he stayed married and the Lord would bless him with many, many things. And then I, after the blessing, I said, is your wife had a blessing for a while? And she said, no. And I said, why don't you, I'll, I'll anoint. And why don't you seal that and give her that blessing? I knew he was worthy to do that. He was going to the temple. So he gave her a beautiful blessing. And Cindy and I, we, we just left. We knew we needed to leave and let them just feel the spirit. And we left and we, we, we gave, they gave us hugs. We were all crying. And then we leave and it's, that's been 15, 16, 17 years. And we, we've never seen them again. We have no idea. That's okay. What's happened. But I've learned that when the spirit of the Lord talks, to me that, and I get this almost anxious feel that I've got to do this. And if whether or not they want it or not, they can say no. So that's, and I've had wonderful opportunities to give blessings to non member members that are not people that are not members of the, our, our faith. And they've been amazing blessings that Heavenly Father, I think Heavenly Father lo loves everyone the same. It doesn't matter who you are. He, we're, he loves us all unconditionally. That's a pretty tender experience. I love that you shared that. And there's, there's, you know, there's press, there's sort of, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. You're not their priesthood leader. They're not in your boundaries. Right. So we, I'm sure you went through all these reasons and you just want, you're embarrassed in the celestial rooms. You just wanted to leave. 
And but you acted on that impression. So just sometimes I think one of the challenges is we have a wonderful structure, but it may keep us from doing ministering outside of our authorized circles, or we say that's not our responsibility, or this is our stewardship boundary or person, and so I don't have stewardship responsibility. But we're all disciples of Christ. We're all members of the church. We all hold the priesthood. So I think, and I don't, I look at Christ's ministry and he never was, you know, he never created boundaries of who and who weren't his children. So I love that. And I think it's just the principle of exception that sometimes we do things that may not be exactly the normal way to do things, but responding to impressions. And I think it's good to share those experiences because then I think we might be more open to those kind of impressions in our own lives. Yeah, thank you. Sure. I know you've given some blessings to some LGBTQ people, and that's we both have a similar sort of experience. I think when we were both bishops, we sort of for the first time connected with LGBTQ people. So share some of those experiences or some of those blessings. Oh, I, I one of the first ones I had was uh, a young man that came into the office, and we talked, and, and, and I gave him a, a blessing. That was the first thing I thought of was a blessing. And I remember walking or going home and talking to Cindy, and I shared a lot with Cindy. Cindy, Cindy was, you know, p- part of that bishopric with me. She she was my elder uh, uh, Ballard had commented during that time that he wished he would have shared more with his wife because, you know, he'd come in home and either he'd be, down a little bit or he'd be excited and his wife was never part of any of it and was a little sometimes discouraged and so i made sure i always shared everything with city i kept things confidential but what i could share and and anyway and i just remember walking or coming home from that saying boy heavenly father loves us all the same and and then i had a the one that really resonates was a young man that lived in the the murray area and wasn't i wasn't his bishop but i was bishop and and i felt pressed that I was to give him a blessing and I called him up and said, let's, I want to give you a blessing. Are you okay? Do you, are you, do you trust me enough to any of course? And I said, have your family there. And it was a Sunday afternoon and I didn't have any idea that he was gay, no clue. And when that blessing came out, it was like one of the most beautiful experiences that I think he would also say in his family. And for me, that, that I remember some of the words in that blessing were, you're okay, who you are, and and Heavenly Father loves you the way you are. And even there was, I mean, even a part where, and I can't explain this, and so I, I, a blessing really isn't for me to explain. It's, I, I just give them if that's what I'm supposed to do. But the, in the blessing, I remember saying something like, in fact, He loves you just the way you are, and it's okay to be who you are. And it made a huge difference. I, I know it made a huge difference in his life, but I'm telling you, it changed my life. I So this wasn't a blessing where you knew he was gay and he didn't come out after the blessing and you didn't even at the time I connect the was, dots that no, he was gay. No. But at some later point he came out and you reflected on this blessing and realized some of the wording you were using there was very helpful oh, to him. It, it, and that's when I when I found that out, I thought, I just thought Heavenly Father knows us individually. You know, sometimes we think it's this big realm and and that, you know, because you and I can only touch so many people, but Heavenly Father is our Father and He can touch us all. And, and He knows every little thing we go through. I found out through these blessings, He knows this, 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 that. I mean, things were, you know, I don't know if you had these experiences, but when I was bishop, I was sitting on the stand, I'd look out in the congregation and the, the power of discernment 
came and you'd say, oh, wow, are they having that problem? And it's just amazing what would come to you. And so I was able to call them in the office and build a 99% of the time I'd go directly to a blessing and then let Heavenly Father tell them what he wanted to know. So it's these experiences have changed my life, especially part of the LGBTQ community. I just, I don't have any associate and I don't have any family member to my knowledge. Um, I mean, I may, but not real like my immediate family. And I just feel like they're some of the most choicest individuals I've ever met. What would you say to LGBTQ people listening? I'd say, you said something right there that's great. Well, I'd say, you know, I speak for Brett Hales only, but from my experiences that, that I know our Heavenly Father loves all of us the same. Me the same, them the same, no difference. Like, no, I don't think there's any tiny difference. And I've, I've come across some people that are... Uh, that are uh, married, the same sex uh, couples, and they're some of the coolest people I know. And and uh, you know, some people I don't worry about that. That's never worried me. I've, I've never worried about sharing that because I know Heavenly Father knows that, and He's He's revealed that to me. And so I just think some of these people are some of the most the the neatest people that I've come across, and their spirits are just amazing. And I've just had nothing but positive experience. How do you reconcile just our doctrine of the church, that marriage is between a man and a woman and the doctrine of our church and same-sex couples that are living outside of the doctrine? Do you just, do you feel like you need to pull away? I think you've kind of answered that question. Yeah. How do you just, do you worry about their eternal salvation? I don't. Why? And how do you just manage that? <laughs> I don't know why. I, well, I know why, because of those blessings. Those The Spirit has testified to me that I, that, I don't, we don't need to worry about that. And I don't know how to explain it because I'm sure there's a lot of my friends that that have children that they they may. But but you know what? I, I've looked around and I think, come on, Heavenly Father would rather have us here upon this earth than some of these individuals that have taken their lives. For, I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Of course, he, he would rather have you here on this earth, who you are. And and. It just, I, I, I don't, I don't even, when you say reconcile it, I don't even have to reconcile it just because I just know what I know. And I know Heavenly Father loves us all the same. And so I don't worry about it. No, I never worry about it. I know everything will turn out okay. I love that. How, do you have any idea how many blessings you gave as bishop? You know, I don't, but I'm, over my lifetime, I'm sure I've given, I think I've given probably hundreds. Yeah. And it's and it's blessed my life. I know blessings are not for me; they're for the, for the individual you're given the blessing for. But I've walked away with, you know, I've walked away given active Catholics, other religions, and one individual asked me to give him a blessing, and they were active in the Catholic Church, and he wanted a blessing. His daughter says, "Now, Dad, you know he's a Mormon," and he goes, "Yeah, I know." He says, "I want him to give me a priesthood blessing," and he had a lot of respect for that. And when I gave him that blessing, I walked in the home, I was by myself, and I asked my dad, "I called my dad and said, Dad, now can I give?" so-and-so a blessing they're not LDS my dad says of course you can give him a blessing and I walked into the home and he had all their family there that are Catholic I mean brothers and cousins it was like crowded he was having open heart surgery and 
there was another time where I gave a blessing and, and the spirit just said, you know, because you've been a good father and the things that you've done, a good husband, Heavenly Father is pleased with you and loves you. And and so those are there's another situation where I walked away going like, Heavenly Father does not, he just loves us all the same. I can't quit saying that because that's what I believe. He loves us all the same. It does not matter. That's a cool story. And there's a cool that's cool because this family loved you and you knew this family well enough and they knew you that they called on you and they recognized that you were a man of God that could help and they knew you probably in that blessing weren't going to um, challenge him to be baptized. <laughs> you know, I've always wondered that too. Um, they thought, or to be more, you wouldn't use that yeah. in a manipulative situation. Never. Unless maybe you really got a strong yeah, prompting. Was, but this was about a, uh, open heart surgery and your power with the priesthood to bless him and his family. I, I had, well, I'll tell you one more, a, a friend of mine from high school that were the same age and he passed away a few months ago. And, uh, I had the privilege of honor of giving him a couple of priesthood blessings in the hospital. And then I gave him a blessing a few weeks before he passed away at cancer. And it meant so much to his girlfriend who, who is LDS. And this young man, uh, young man, he's my age. He, he's not LDS, but he asked for it. And, uh, it meant the world to her. And I think to some family members and just another experience where I'm going, or uh, the Lord just blessed, poured out a blessing upon him and his family and have comfort and peace. And it meant no difference that he was not a member of the same faith that I was. I love that. And, you know, I just, we don't know each other that well, but I'm just seeing similarities in our ministry and how we approach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my YSA interviews, I'd ever end every interview with, would you, would you like a blessing or are you okay? And it kind of gave them an out. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, and I was surprised maybe 50% wanted a blessing. And sometimes, it, as you you wouldn't be surprised, it was the same people. I mean, some people would maybe every other time, but some people would want a blessing every time. And I just love, I was thought that's really cool. The faith in the priest didn't want that. And one of the things for me, obviously, that happened is in my counsel, I would really tell, I would usually just give principles for people to make a good decision. I didn't want to make the decision for them. Sure. But the blessing was different because sometimes that obviously wasn't me speaking, but it was God. Right. And sometimes very clear direction um, would come in a blessing that I would, that was different than, so it was just a completely different communication channel. Me as the bishop right. laying down principles to make the good decisions. But then one of the things that happened for me is I started to do, say kind things about LGBTQ. People would come and just want to visit. A little bit that happened the last year I was bishop, but it's especially happened for the couple of years. And I remember the first time someone was here, it was LGBTQ and had resigned from the church. And I was just kind of in the habit of saying, would you like a blessing or okay? And I said that. And I thought, well, he's not going to want a blessing. He's resigned from the church. And he said, I would love a blessing. I love it. And I just, I realized that there's a lot of people that aren't in our church or have left our church or like the boyfriend that believe in the power of the priesthood and believe in people that are close with God and their ability to help them. And so I think it's a great, I think it's just, and you're right, there's no restrictions on this. There's nothing in the handbook that says you can only give blessings to people you know, right. or they're your faith, or they're in your ward, or they're your ministering brother. And so I think you're helping us to remind us that we can act on the impressions because God bl blesses his children through everybody. Okay. 
Talk any other bishop experiences before you go to when you were diagnosed with MS. No, just wonderful. Just it was a it was an easy ward. So yeah, how old blessed. were you when you were diagnosed with MS? Let's see. Two thousand five and I was born in sixty. So help me. That is 30, 43 or something, because yeah. 39 to get you yeah. to the turn of the century, another four. <laughs> I love it, man. That's what I have to do. You Highland higher. You, you did good. You did better than Cypress. So like. you're in your 40s. Yeah, I was in my 40s. And is your health good before that? Absolutely. Yeah. Had great health. How did, what were your early symptoms and how did you get this diagnosis? You know, I, I woke up um, one morning, I was around the year 2000, so I went through this for about five years. Um, and couldn't walk. I just had no movement in my legs and they felt like a thick heaviness. And then I just couldn't move them for a few days. And then I was able to move them a little more. And so I was going to neurologists, neurologists after neurologists. And, and, you know, I think that there was a time probably a few years later that, that I think they were thinking MS and, and my doctor was she, the, at the time was a woman was so good and so amazing that, I think she let me come to uh, grips that uh, it was going to be MS. So I, there might, might have been a time that I wasn't ready. Interesting. That. And then when I was ready, and, and we didn't ever talk about it, but when I was ready, I think she then said, you know, we. They, I think she might have known. It, it, you have lesions. I, I don't know if this is common for everyone, but I had several lesions on the brain. So they found them through an MRI and then had symptoms of MS of not being able to walk and then muscle spasms. I had horrific muscle spasms that just didn't allow me to walk. And I was heading down to the uh, Cottonwood hospital every three days to have, you know, the strong, strong medicines pumped into my port. This is really scary. Oh yeah. It was crazy. And my wife and, and Cindy during all of it, I never heard her during one. I mean, you know, this would have been tough. And my doctor said divorce is, way high with multiple sclerosis, way high, 70 to 80%. And um, I had a friend pass away with it and, and her husband had left her. And it was interesting because, or not interesting, it was just amazing. Cindy, I never heard her once say, oh, Brett, you know, because I think that would have added to my stress. Never. The credit union I worked for, Cyprus, stood behind me the whole time. They stepped up to the plate when it was time to retire. She had to retire early because I retired of early. Yep, and they retired me at my full salary. Amazing. Did you ever get angry at God and say, "Wait a second, God, I'm a bishop. I'm doing. I'm on your errand. I need to be healthy, and now you've given me MS or allowed this to happen." I, why I'm trying to minister to your children. Did you ever go down that road? I didn't. I, I don't know why. I, probably because of Cindy being so positive about it and our kids. I in fact I. I think I remember saying to Cindy, well, why not? My mother had Alzheimer's for 18 years. Oh. And my dad took care of her the whole time. I just, I don't think, no, that never entered my mind. I just thought it's a something we go through. And I, and, and I just have been taught my whole life. This is an earthly thing. And so it's, you know, as it, it might seem like a lot of years, but it's really a blip. It's just a short time. And that's how I've always looked at it. It's just a short time that, that, that I'm going to go through this, even though I've, I'm, and I'm speaking as a healthy person with MS right now because of the medicine I'm on. But no, I never, thankfully, and that never entered my mind. I've just always thought, in fact, it blessed our life, to be honest with you, Dick. Talk about that, because you talked about that before we went live. You said, this has been a great blessing to our family. How could MS, it's a devastating diagnosis, be a blessing to a family? 
Well, we had kids that were in high school, junior high, elementary when I was diagnosed and um, or when I was going through a lot of this. And we just saw our family, you know, they were already amazing kids, but we just saw these amazing five kids come together and kneel and pray and specifically for me to get better. And their hearts were just broken because of what they saw their father going through, yet their faith and Cindy's faith were amazing. And it just pulled us, even though we had an amazing relationship, we had a better relationship because of it. And we didn't complain about things because we realized that we were lucky that we didn't have other things happening in our life and that we had this going on. So we felt very, very blessed that I was here on this earth. There was a time where I was on a feeding tube and, um, at about 105 temperature and was really sick. And my son was on, my oldest son was on his mission in Brazil and it didn't look good. It, wow. fact, we thought we were, I was going to pass away that night. Wow. And um, there was a peace. So just kind of just, we just, we just knew that my father has always said, I, I'll find the quote for you, but my father uh, uh, said a quote, I'll look it up. But anyway, we just knew that there's more to the, more to this life and uh, more that we could trust that, that we we've always trusted that there's more f for the eternities and that this won't take place in the eternities. Well, this will be gone. And so it's made us more faithful people. Were the key breakthroughs in your treatment? Um, and I don't know anything about the treatment of MS. I just know you've had this, if you were diagnosed at roughly in 20 in 2004, this has been 15 years. Were there, has there been breakthroughs in the treatment or that have helped you? Are you any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I I started out with I think a medicine. It was a, it's shot. There have always been shots that I've taken uh, in the muscle, and uh, I think I started out with a shot called Rebif, and then I went to a shot Avanex, and that made me sick for about two, maybe three days, and so I wasn't functioning very well, but. It's what, it, it, there's no cure for MS, but it slowed the disease down. And then um, there was a, a, a another drug that I didn't end up, an MS therapy drug that I didn't end up doing. It was once a month. Now I'm on a brand new one that's called Ocrevus. And it is literally, I have no side effects from it. And it's every six months. So I only do it twice a year. Very expensive, about $80,000. Wow. And insurance covers most of it. But it it's um, how long does it take to receive the drug? Like seven hours. Seven hours. So six to seven hours. I'll be at my doctor's office, and it's a it's a drip, just like an IV drip, and literally it's supposed to make you maybe a little tired. A few things doesn't. I have no side effects. It gives me more energy. I feel better, and then I can tell when I'm ready for my next one six months later, and that, and then also. Uh, and I'll, I've spoken about this uh, in the newspaper, but I had the opportunity to meet with Elder Gerard of the first corner of the 70 and, and talk about uh, cannabis, medical cannabis. And um, MS is one of the ones that was approved through the compromise. And uh, so I legally can take cannabis. And I never thought in a million years that, that uh, the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, would allow marijuana, you know, and 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 it's been a blessing in our lives that it stopped my muscle spasms. Yeah, talk about when you started it and what you hoped it would help and how it's done. We, well, I hoped it would help us. Uh, we had a lot of people that had MS that would tell us that they had done it in Colorado and other s states. And so Cindy and I went to Colorado and tried it. 
and it was a miracle. It was, didn't do hardly, hardly any of it, and it was just miraculous to stop my muscle spasms. Muscle spasms. And so when it became legal here, I started it here, and uh, and it has just it's just I do an oil. Some people do different things, but I do an oil under my tongue, and um, it allows me to sleep. I have not had this is the first time in the the last year that I've had where I can rest peacefully through the night. So it's a miracle to the Hales family. How often do you take it? Nightly? Yeah, usually nightly. Maybe not all the times, but most of the time. When I don't take it, it seems like it can have an effect. Does on your me. insurance cover it? No. So it's legal. So, so it's legal, yes. Yeah, so but you have it's out of pocket. Yeah, but it's out of pocket. Have you been a voice for other families that have needed this to be legal so that it can help them? I, I have, and I was when it was, uh, um, and that's when Pre Elder Gerard was the spokesperson. Well, he wasn't the spokesperson. He, Marty Stevens was the spokesperson for the church, but um, Elder Gerard was given the assignment to, to run with Prop 2. And uh, so a lot of, lot of uh, discussion back and forth on Prop 2. And so Prop 2, they had a special session in December before, and some say it was because then they didn't want to do certain things. But anyway, bottom line is, is, is it passed in December and allowed me to be able to do that. And yeah, I was involved with that. I was involved with Prop 2 at first, and then when the compromise came available, then... Did you get any pushback from active Latter-day Saints? You, you know, I, I how I got involved was this, is I put my muscle spasms that I showed you earlier. Yeah, I, I saw your a, legs. Yeah, and I put spasming. a little longer version on uh, uh, Facebook, and I thought I was on... I, I had no idea the difference between private and public, and I thought I had it on private. Well, it was on public and it went viral. It, had it did fifty thousand views, and so when the so when I got a call from someone that was helping with Prop Two with the church, I thought, well, Cindy, we might get Sundays off and a ten percent increase. <laughs> <laughs> I really did not know, and they came over and talked to us and said Elder Gerard would like to meet with a group of us, about ten of us, and so we had the privilege of going to the uh, downtown and and visiting with him and Marty Stevens and. And uh, Nathan Frotchum, who's a guy in my area that was involved in it, and others. I mean, there's so many others that that were involved with it. To, to, that um, so I was. I mean, I was a teeny, 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 teeny. When I saw other families there at the same meeting I was at with Elder Gerard, gosh, they were talking about their five-year-olds, their ten-year-olds that have 30, 40, 50 uh, seizures a day. I was embarrassed almost to talk about mine. And then Elder Gerard made it very clear that, no, we want to want to hear yours too, because we need to know about multiple sclerosis. But yeah, so I, I was definitely a voice. I was a tiny voice, but I definitely was a voice for it. I love the way you use Facebook and I love the way that went viral and you had it on public. And <laughs> I certainly have, you know, I think it really helped me to listen to people. This kind of comes back to a core principles. I have to, to understand LGBTQ people, I can't talk to straight people. Tell me about LGBTQ sure. people. So if I'm going to understand about this political issue, I guess I'd call it a political issue because sure. it was in the political arena, I've got to hear people that will talk about if this drug is helpful. And I've got to understand the difficult medical situation they're in that I'm not in. Right. So it has no, it doesn't really resonate with me. But if I listen to people that um, are deeply that this can deeply take away their symptoms. That's kind of a bad English. You, you asked you asked the question if I had any uh, pushback. I really didn't. Can you? I mean, really, there were hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of comments. I don't know how many. It was tons. 
really everyone was pretty awesome. They were pretty awesome. I think, you know, I think it comes back to this belief that I think people want to do the right thing in right. all faiths and all right. people wreck it are are just thoughtful enough to say this seems like a logical way yeah. to relieve suffering and pain. We yeah. should figure out a way to do this. People people are good, you know. People are good. Yeah. People are good when we we hear so many things in this world of negative and I've I have found that people really people are are good. Um any other things you want to share about MS? Are you, I think I asked you before the podcast, this is 15 years into it, and I assume you're doing better than maybe you thought you'd do, although you almost passed away one night. I'm doing a lot better. You uh, just flew up the steps of our I house. I did, and you know, <laughs> I remember someone saying that to me at church one time when I got up, I gave a prayer or maybe it was a testimony, I'm not sure what, but someone said, and I didn't even realize, they said, did you see how fast you walked up those stairs? Because they had seen me decline. And uh, I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? And I didn't even think about that. I just it never, but you'd, you'd ask me earlier. Yes, about my, see if you can find that quote. My father's quote. And this was, it's this is, Carol Makita came out to our house and did a, my father's house in Magna and did a, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, about a four minute, clip on the, him taking care of my mom with Alzheimer's called um, A Labor of Love. And it's, um, my, in fact, it's on YouTube and it's under My Sweetheart and Me and Jimmy Hales, Gladys Hales and Magna. But anyway, at the very end, she asked, how do you do it, Jimmy? How do you, you know, how do you handle this with Gladys being so, she was declining so fast with her Alzheimer's. And he said, we know that the future holds out a bright hope and we look forward to it. And that was my father's belief. He he knew that there's more to this than than just this earth. And he says, and we look forward to it. It's pretty cool. And he lived to be 90 years old. He lived to be 90. Yeah. I'm really struck by that. I'm struck with all the positive words he shared with that. I'm I'm thinking of my own great-grandfather who was 96 when he died. And I think at 94, we went to visit him in the hospital as my great-grandfather, and I was in my 20s. And maybe I've shared this story with our listeners, but as we were driving to the hospital, my parents said, well, Grandpa had his leg amputated from the knee down. And I thought Grandpa would be in a really bad mood. And we walked into his, into his hospital room, and he said, Better dying from the bottom up than the top down. <laughs> that's cool. And I, I thought, that's, that's, I just thought, you know, can I learn a principle there of optimism in a difficult yeah. situation? And permission to have difficult situations. Not everybody. Sure. And I'm sure you had really dark nights with MS. You and, know, we did. And never you hear so many people say, oh, you were so positive during it. But, you know, we were blessed during it, too. We, with Cypress Credit Union yeah. paying my salary. And Cindy standing by my side, our five kids stood by my side. I mean, you know, you can understand if someone's going through this alone or they don't have the aid, uh, financial help and things like that. So we didn't ever go through any of that. And it, yeah, I had a positive attitude, but it helps to have a positive attitude when you have all the help that I that we had. I love that. And um, talk about your community service. You're in the Murray City Council. I think you are my councilman. I am. Your I don't have any wish list for you or any. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not going to leave you with a checklist of things that need to be done in our community. Awesome. 
But why did you decide to get involved in that way? Because you retire, so you've had a few curveballs, MS, early retirement, right. and you've got time on your hands. I, I was someone had asked me to run, never given it a thought in my life. I think the last time was when I was student by president of the Broadbank Junior High. But I, uh, I, I just thought, well, there's no way Cindy would go for this because my health isn't good. And, uh, and uh, I, in fact, anyway, so we decided to just like we always do everything. We prayed about it and we both got up from our prayer and we looked at each other and said, oh, my goodness, I'm supposed to run. Now, that didn't mean I was going to win. By any means, I never took that as that I would win. I just took it that, yes, this is something I'm supposed to focus on. And Cindy has been my partner through this whole thing. And I'm on my, this is my, se I'm in my second term. Almost, I'm going to run for one more term. Well, so, they're four-year terms. Yeah, four-year terms. And, and I just, we've been, the Murray City is such a wonderful place. I mean, our, our mayors have been just, wonderful all, all different too different personalities but just amazing people our council people are wonderful they're they're different religions and they're some are not don't, don't believe have a maybe a faith you know in well i think most do but they may not even believe in what i believe in by any means and we all get along we just we all get along with the administration the council i says how cool would that be if we could do that back east yeah you know we and just you're running along. as a nonpartisan yeah it's nonpartisan which makes it so much wonderful you know we just we're just here to serve the people and and the people have been so good to me I have been very, very blessed. Just a wonderful community. But I've supported them, and and I've stood up. I, I I've thought many times, this maybe wouldn't be the direction that I would go. But when a hundred people show up, and they want something, I think, guess what? They're the ones that voted me in. So I'm. It's cool. I'm gonna go the direction that they want because they're the, I'm their voice. You don't have very much us versus them in you. No. It's all, um, all together. It's all us. And I, I think about that, and I think about that in my own life. I I think the first time I realized I had less us versus them in me was on my mission in England. We were attracting, and I would just listen to people talk about their religions, and it didn't particularly activate me. And it, my companions would tease me, well, they're going to convert you. And i go, <laughs> oh, no, I just... I was, and I think it helped me to understand those that were truly seeking for something different or their, or some of their religious needs. If I just listened to them, even if I heard things that I didn't agree with or challenge my own doctrine. And I, I sometimes wonder if, if I don't want to elevate any of us that have less, less us versus them about above somebody else. But I sometimes wonder if, if we truly understand heavenly father's eternal plan and then it's easier for us to have just see everybody as as God's children and even people outside of our faith because there's this is part of a great plan and most of his children will never have a chance to hear our faith and he right. and so i think that's one of the things for me is it's sort of like my confidence in my faith and my understanding of the plan of salvation if i really own my theology and i really own what we teach then it makes me have less us versus them, I yeah, think. I it lets me to just see good in other religions and see people doing the best and not worry. And I think I have less versus them versus LGBTQ because I just 
like you, I have this wonderful marriage and I don't feel a need to sort of demonize other marriages or take them down to sometimes elevate my marriage. I can just, my marriage can stand on its own merits and I don't sort of need to be threatened. We pulled up a picture of a common friend we had before we went live who's gay and has a boyfriend. We kind of talked about him. Sure. You know him better than I do. And, um, and, and you looked at, we just, our listeners, as you saw this former return missionary that's now in a same-sex um, partnership, just how you process that. Have, well, is he still part of your life? Absolutely. We go to lunch do together you, all the time. Do you invite him to come back to our church? Do you remind him of our doctrine? You know, I don't. I, I don't know if that's <laughs> that. This is just Brett Hales. No, I don't. I, I he knows. He knows he, our doctrine. He knows our doctrine, and he knows. And we've had, sure, we've had discussions, but this is the path that he has chosen to take. And so I'm going to love him for it. I'm going to just love him for it. He, we're going to invite he. In fact, we keep saying, Cindy and I, we need to invite he and his partner over. And we play a mean game of what we call marbles. It's like the old uh, aggravation. But, uh, and we team up with each other. And, and he's done it with us and his family several times. He's, he submitted his mission papers in our home. Um, and, uh, I just remember looking at him when he told me that, that he was coming out and that he was gay and I, and he looked at me and I says, Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. He trusted you. Yeah. I never, I never thought one thing. I honestly did not think like, Oh, I just think I go back to those things I've experienced and think. What about, okay. Do you feel like you're condoning if you no. if you have lunch with him, inviting him to your home and no. your partner? Do you feel think, like I think it'd be you're enabling him and you're sort of blessing his path? And not at all. No, and I because that's I, a struggle I for some Latter Day people, Saints, I, yeah, I and they that, think, well, I if I invite that. him over yeah. with this partner, I'm sort yeah. of heck no. Isn't that what we're taught? Christ taught us to do that, and, and that's just something that's just innate. That's just in me. Do you, are you being kind to him because you want him to come back to our church? No, and not at all. So this is—is no. is this a long play with long, an agenda? Absolutely. No, he has no. He odds are he will never come back. And and I'm and I yeah that I mean I I, I it's interesting because there's not even like this sadness of like oh no you know I just love him so much for who he is. And and that I would I think absolutely I just love him for who he is and we're friends and we were friends before and we're going to be friends after I mean there's no he told me he's gay okay that's cool I mean that's okay and I and I'm not and, and I'm not out there like you I'm not out there uh, similar to you what you said that you, people say are you out there uh, uh, I don't even know the word because I don't want to use the word condone because um, it's just his decision. And, yeah. and I love him for who he is. And, and I know that heavenly father loves him for who he, who he is. I'd be more afraid that if I judged him and, uh, and did try to do some of that stuff that it, that, that would fall more on upon me. And so my part is just to love him for who he is. And that's how I am. Yeah. And I'm in the same space. I've it. And I, and that's why I'm glad you're on the podcast because I, not to say everybody needs to be in the same space we are as active sure. Latter-day Saints, but I think I use the principle of self-determination that I invite everybody to stay. All the good in my life comes from living the doctrine of our church. But if someone self-determines, I would never invite someone to leave. I would sure. never sort of pave that road for them. But 
um, if they choose to leave, my relationship with them won't change. Mm. If, if there was a situation, Dick, where someone was saying, well, what should I do? And, and was asking counsel, then sure, I would give the counsel what I believe my own, my personal self. But once they've made that decision, I'm not, that's, it's Elder, um, oh, Elder um, Tom's brother, Christofferson. Yeah. Elder Christofferson talked about, um, was it Elder Christofferson? No, it was Elder Ranlin. Elder Ranlin talked about suicide, beautiful, beautiful yeah. talk where he said, he made a comment and said, there's an old sectarian, sectarian notion that suicide is a sin. And he says, it's absolutely not a sin. And then he says, and when someone is down and out in that area, do you, do you um, say, well, let, read the scriptures and do this. And, 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 and I'm not saying this is the same thing, but as far as me handling it the same way, I would never say to someone, well, here, why don't you read the scriptures and maybe this will make you not gay. Cause guess what? I don't, I don't personally believe that. Yeah. I think they are who they are. And, 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 and I'm not, I'm going to remain friends with them. Yeah. I, I, I like that. And I think that, you know, the keeping the family circled together and keeping our friendships circled together is the doctrine of our church. And we just leave that at the Savior's feet. I don't think, you know, I think one of the things I've tried to figure out in my mind is how do we humanize people versus demonize people that leave? And some people leave and they get real angry at the church. And I don't quite know why some people are more, I think I know some of them, but I wonder if our kindness to people, if they choose to leave, helps them to just be emotionally better, make better decisions and feel less angry. Because our faith community is not making them now the, we sometimes need a bogeyman or we need an enemy to drive home our points. And sometimes I think we pick up these bogeymen and these enemies. And I was reading an article about a civilization that sacrificed their children to idol gods. And I thought, well, that's a bogeyman. That's yeah. an enemy. That's Satan. And that's pure evil. And and so this is outside the doctrine of our church, but I just don't want to make a bogeyman or demonize. I want to humanize and and do what you're doing is just extend an extra measure of love and support as someone's walking probably a pretty difficult road. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so I think that's just helpful framework that you're sharing with right. our listeners. This is a really good podcast. We some we just we just start talking and sharing stories. Do you have any? We're kind of at the end. Do you have any final thoughts, um, Brett, that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think that I've probably said most everything that's on my mind. But I just basically I'll I'll reiterate that I just really think it's important that we love one another, no exceptions. We love everyone for who they are. I mean, I tell my friends all the time that that are not my faith and say, thanks for loving me for who I am. That's and cool. they do. They love me for who I am. And in return, well, I would anyway, but I love them for who they are. And if they drink, so be it. If they, you know, if it's, if it's something that's not affecting me and, and whatever and my family, then, you know, but I choose to be around people. I choose to be around my friends that, that might not live the same standards that I do as far as our, our faith. And they're great people. There's a lot of good people on this earth. And I, I, I'd be hard pressed to believe that they're not going to make it to heaven or the highest degree. I think that we'd be absolutely incorrect on that. There's, there's a lot of good people that are going to 
going to be there, and I hope I'm there with them. I love that. And sometimes I think about all the people that are alive right now in mortality. I think it's 5 billion. I get conf- I'm not sure on the latest number. And what percent of those are going to be in the celestial kingdom? Um, and then what percent of those are actually in our faith right now? And it's back to your point. I think there's a lot of people are going to be in the celestial kingdom that are alive in mortality that aren't in our faith and will never be in our faith. But they will have. But they are good people doing the very best they can, with wonderful hearts and acting on the truths in their lives, and they will receive all the ordinances and any other understanding they have because their basic soul is good and their yeah. basic heart is good. And the loving God, I believe in that. We both believe in wants to get as many of his children back. Salvation is not scarce. It's that's one of the things I love about the parable of the loaves is that we sort of assume there wasn't enough food to go around. And I think that's one of the things that, so in other words, if you make it, you know, is there less of a chance for me to make it? Is there just a room up there for just a few? And I think just like we want as parents, I think our heavenly parents want all of his, of our children to make it. And they write the rules and get to be the judge and it's pretty good system that's in place. And so I agree with you, and I think we just do the best we can to do the doctrine that you taught is we just love everybody. Yeah. So any final comments? Just that, no, I appreciate you inviting me to come up. This is, this is uh, I was unexpected, and I was a little nervous. <laughs> and then you were right. We, everything seemed to flow. But, so, yeah, I just, I think we just need to remember we're all children of our Father in Heaven. And uh He's no respecter of persons. He loves us all the same. And I've said that a million times, but I really, I mean, I fully believe that, that he loves us all the same. And that's what's important. It's great. So, yeah, sometimes uh, listeners, I do reach out to people and ask them to be on the podcast. I'm prayerful about that. And I I just sense this would be a helpful podcast. So it's been uplifting for me and for our listeners. And um, we've. I went on Apple today and saw that there were some recent reviews. So any of you, I didn't know you could do that. I'm still kind of a rookie <laughs> podcaster, and but we have great guests. So yeah, it does help. I think when you rate our podcast, leave a comment on whatever platform, because my hope is that more act, more people will engage in this podcast and hear stories that help them better live the gospel of Jesus Christ and better live our doctrine. So thank our listeners. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.